0: On today's episode of Tell Me What You Know, we're talking about out-of-body experiences, namely astral projection. If you've seen the MCU movie Doctor Strange, you might have an idea of what we're discussing. We'll talk about the potential benefits of this pseudoscience, as well as methods you can use at home to attempt this phenomenon yourself. If you're running low on quarantine activities, astral projection may just be your ticket out.
1: And then, we're going to submerge into the cramped world of submarines. These underwater vessels allow us to explore the vastness of the oceans, and launch full-scale nuclear war at a moment's notice. First created in the 17th century, these inventions have come a long way from being powered by hand cranks to being powered by nuclear reactors, allowing them to stay submerged for months at a time. We discuss what life is like aboard these cigar-shaped boats and touch on some of our favorite sub-movies. Welcome to Tell Me What You Know.
0: What is going on, everybody? Today is Thursday, July 16th. This is episode 12 of season two of Tell Me What You Know. I'm gonna apologize in advance if there's any recording issues. We are once again recording remotely. I'm at home in uh, North Carolina. And Michael 2 you're up there in, in the office in Arlington.
1: Back in the office though, yeah, it's nice. And I think, I think this time our remote uh, recording capabilities are gonna sound a lot better.
0: Well, we're experimenting every time, so yeah. we're gonna hit at some point.
1: That's right that's right yeah
0: how is Um, north carolina it's good it's good yesterday uh july 15th the classic tax day yep got everything done there so that's nice gotta feel good does feel good it's kind of rainy here today though so hopefully get through the weekend with a little more sun uh and hopefully this we can brighten up everybody's weekend with a little podcast as well that's right um happy weekend (laughs) yeah uh have you been following along with uh, the the Redskins or the formerly soon to formally be called Redskins drama that's coming up?
1: I mean, I know what's going on. I, I haven't been following every name that has been thrown out. Um, I mean, I know that it kind of started with the uh, was it the, the Verizon owner or CEO or who is it? No, the FedEx guy. Who is it?
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. I just I've been reading recently. There's like a Twitter shitstorm that. Apparently, there's a Washington Post article that's supposed to drop today or tomorrow that is way more damning than just the name change. They're talking about like it could be the end of Dan Snyder, all this kind of stuff. I mean, they're saying like, yeah, it's not just the name change. This goes way higher than that. People have been quitting, like, f- like just basically abandoning ship left and right in the organization.
1: I, I did see something like that. Some big name uh, resigned yesterday, knowing that this this article was, I think I think it's out today.
0: Is it already out? I haven't seen anything yet, but I uh, I just uh, I have to imagine it's like a picture of Dan Snyder with Epstein and Jelaine Maxwell or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like sexual assault and then pedophilia and all that kind of stuff. It would surprise what me. Be. Yeah. Um, have, any so of the name, that have
1: any of the names uh, piqued your interest? Like you think sound kind of good?
0: Uh, I haven't seen what I mean, like the Red Wolves is like, a, I think a front runner. The
1: Red Wolves, the Red Tails. I think yeah, people wanted to keep the re- like a red in the title, but but it's been a big debate yeah. about what they you know what the second part of it is.
0: Yeah, I saw uh, some Native American tribe wanted them to change them to the code breakers or something like oh, that. Oh
1: yeah, kind of. I think that's <laughs> kind of cool. <laughs> I,
0: don't, I don't know much about it or if that's a shot at them or what, but um, anyway, that's that's coming up. I'm excited to see what that. Uh, e- even with no sports, it's nice having. Some some kind of sports drama. It's a it's basically a just a reality TV show.
1: Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, I would like it if Snyder, you know, left and the team would be run a lot better. But uh, right. But yeah. Anyways.
0: Yeah, and we. I don't really like talking politics here, of course, but I do love it when the line between sports and politics gets blurred. I don't know if you've been closely following the Alabama Senate race at all.
1: No, no you seen this? I haven't been so.
0: Tommy Tuberville won a runoff against Sessions to get, I guess, the. He'll be running up against the incumbent, Doug Jones. Uh-huh. Uh, Tommy Tuberville, of course, former Auburn head coach, uh, same as at Old Miss and Texas Tech. And the Alabama Democrats' Twitter page has just been going full on, just roasting Tommy Tuberville, basically. <laughs> He said, uh, some of the tweets, he lost his last Iron Bowl, 36 nothing. collects millions of dollars in pension money from hardworking Alabamians and, and bilked investors based on their trust in his invest- investment advice. Tubbs, Doug's going to run through you like Fred Talley at an 11 a.m. Jefferson pilot game. <laughs> <laughs> said, Tommy Tuberville said he'd leave Ole Miss in a pine box. Days later, he left for Auburn, never told his players goodbye. At Auburn, he had a wondering eye every year. At Texas Tech, he ditched a recruit during a dinner to leave for Cincinnati. Wonder who he's lying to now. it's it's great
1: yeah i mean yeah you're going up against all those those uh alabama supporters it's got to be tough yeah that's hilarious though
0: so that'll be fun to watch anyway let's get into today's topics are you ready to go let's do it michael tell me what you know about astral projection
1: astral projection
0: or any kind of out of body experience
1: huh Oh, I I don't know much, really.
0: Um, well, I'm a 30-minute expert, so I can lead you through all of this.
1: <laughs> but, like, out-of-body – like, I've never heard of an out-of-body experience being called an astral projection. Is that, like, the idea that you – like, your mind's eye changes or something, and you float above yourself?
0: Have you seen uh, Doctor Strange?
1: Uh, some of it,
0: yeah. So – Dr. Strange has the ability to project himself into the astral plane, basically, where he's his physical form and his spirit form or soul form can separate. Okay. All right. So to put it simply, astral projection is a term used to describe an intentional out of body experience. So what's an out of body experience? Well... These OBEs, I guess, is the is the term that's been coined for. It. They can be intentional or involuntary. So, like a near death experience, uh, where you know people will say they they see themselves floating at the top of the hospital room, kind of observing everything below. Right. Triggered by trauma or illness, uh, In Native American vision quests. It was like food and water deprivation could trigger these out of body experiences. Okay. And then, have you heard of lucid dreaming?
1: Yep. Where you kind of so like control lucid, your lucid dreams as
0: well. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like the awake mind asleep body type thing right yeah so to differentiate back to astral projection we'll say that astral projections are a conscious choice uh so it assumes the existence of a soul or consciousness called an astral body that is separate from the physical body it's capable of traveling outside of the physical body and throughout the universe oh wow um, there's no scientific evidence to back up the claim that there is a consciousness or soul that's separate from normal like neural activity or that it's possible for someone to consciously leave the body or and observe. It's basically most of the data is anecdotal. Um, so it's, so it is characterized by a pseudoscience, but that, as a pseudoscience, but that's not to say that scientists aren't interested in the perspective of, or the, uh, the, the prospect of, of astral, uh, projection. Right. And it's one of those things that, um, there have been similarities throughout different cultures that have this, like that have, roots or have astral projection in their, in their, in their roots, I guess. Um, so you see similarities between like Western cultures and this biblical roots and in ancient Egypt and China and Eastern cultures, as well as, you know, Inuit and Amazonian cultures, they all have these different, uh, I guess, out-of-body experiences that are similar to, or would be similar to each other, Mm -hmm. these astral projections. Mm -hmm. Um, so surveys have shown that somewhere between eight and 20% of people claim to have had some type of out-of-body experience. Most of them occurred during uh, deep sleep or hypnosis or some other sort of dreamlike state. Uh, but others have claimed they can achieve this through relaxation and meditation. So we talked about it being kind of a pseudoscience. Uh, that is because there is no scientific evidence that the, the consciousness can exist outside of the brain. The simplest explanation is that a person is just dreaming or fantasizing, right? So there's like you know, there's obviously this bias towards what you what your mind already knows, I guess um,
1: right It's sort of like an illusion that you're kind of creating in your mind, not necessarily right. leaving and going someplace.
0: yeah, and this might be kind of like a duh explanation. But one article I was reading was saying that if, if it was a real thing, it's uses would be incredibly beneficial, like a natural disaster. If there's a huge earthquake, somebody could actually project, project themselves into the danger zone and find, you know, survivors and that kind of thing without having to endanger first responders going in there. Same thing with like a hostage situation or a mass shooting, that kind of thing. You know right, what I mean? Right. And they so their claim was like, you know, the silence of astral projectionists in these times is, is pretty, pretty clear. <laughs>
1: How dare they where,
0: where are they in these moments
1: how dare they keep their their powers to themselves
0: right um so i guess one of the things <laughs> that i sort of mentioned was that you know that that is a is a plus for this being a real thing i guess is that people have claimed to achieve people who have claimed to achieve astral projection have these similar experiences even across different cultures But, you know, one, I guess, a a reason for this could be that it's guided imagery. You have a guide telling you what you should expect to see. And so there's like a bias there already. So there's a lot of confirmation biases and biases and coincidences and that kind of thing.
1: Gotcha. I I think I'd heard stories around people, um, you know, going to, say, an ancient burial ground or maybe a uh, excavation site where they're, you know, Mm -hmm. digging up an old Roman village or something. And they hold on to... um, like a rock or something connected to the site. And they're able to kind of do what you're saying, like astral projection their way into history. And then they can tell the people digging like, oh, if you go a hundred yards over this way and you start digging, you'll find mm-hmm. uh, you know, some house or something. Um, and I don't really know if I fully believe it, but I, I think I've heard stories that are somewhat corroborated that they did go over there and dig something up. Um, but again, yeah. I don't know if that's still kind of like a – in a similar way you talked about with um, uh, hypnosis and psychics and, um, that maybe they're just sort of speaking in vague terms and then they go yeah. dig something up and then, and then they say that, oh, yeah, that's what I meant kind of thing.
0: Right. I mean, this maybe just a complete like noob take on it, but you, I feel like it'd be pretty easy to test, right? You could just say like you could set up – a bunch of different s- scenarios and situations around the world even and have somebody cause there's no like space or time. I feel like when you're actually projecting and just say like, okay, I want you to go to these places and describe exactly what they look like. Right. And that would be like, if you could do that, then you'd be like, Oh wow. I mean like either it's a huge coincidence or this is actually kind of a real thing.
1: Right. Well, I think there's a reason that a lot of these people don't want to put on, uh, you know, good, good tests, uh, you know, p- yeah. Subject themselves to, Uh, an accurate scientific test or measured test
0: Um, yeah and i think as well like i'm not saying like i think we've kind of talked about this recently like the mind and the consciousness and all that kind of stuff is very much unexplored by most people i think Mm -hmm. um where was i going with this uh, so it's not to say that I don't think that that it is real or that it can't happen. But I think that it has become very commercialized as well. Like you can go on Amazon and find so many, you know, beginners guides to astral projection and stuff like that. Yeah. To where it, it's, it it's kind of it muddies the waters a little bit between like, is this actually a thing or is it like, oh, I can make a dollar off somebody right.
1: who wants to do this. Right. Well, you'd have to think, you know, 99 out of 100 are probably people who are just charlatans. But maybe there's yeah. one person out of a hundred that has really put in the time uh, and spent. You know, I would imagine it's years trying to figure this stuff out. That um, maybe they're able to go to some place that we can't um, believe is possible. But I think it yeah. would take a really long amount of time and work, hard work, uh, to do.
0: I think so. I mean, you, it would be like uh, you know a, a yogi or a monk who's dedicated their entire life to this kind of thing. Yeah. Which, and which, and I don't think they see that as like, like maybe it's, it's not so much you, the benefit is that you can travel somewhere and see something. It's more so that it like brings you a better understanding of like consciousness and mindfulness and that kind of thing.
1: Right. Well, it's like, if you had this power, maybe it's not designed to, uh, you know, you're not like a, uh, party trick, you know, you're
0: not like, yeah. Uh, right, exactly.
1: It, it doesn't really work like that.
0: The quarters in your right hand. Right, right. <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, so some of the benefits I, I came across when reading about it is that uh, like the the tantrics, they used these out-of-body experiment experiences to eliminate their fear of death by coming to the realization that we are not our bodies, hmm. at least in their belief. Um, they Some people have also found that the physical body can undergo – extremely deep healing while in and out of, while in and out of body experience. Uh, they say the mind is often very hard on the body. And so by doing this, you can really heal it by taking it, that, that part away, I guess. Hmm. Some athletes have found that, uh, lucid dreaming can help them visualize situations and better prepare them for competition which I didn't get an example of any specific athletes that had done that, but I did see that blurb. Um,
1: I, I could see, you know, elements of visualization and right. You know, I could definitely see that, that playing into your actual abilities. But again, I think that's it. It's just, uh, a, I, like it yeah, yeah. um, yeah. I don't know if i call it dream Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, anyways, um, and others have found that you can explore past lives as a way of accelerated personal development. Um, so that's, I guess that you have to buy into the reincarnation belief and all that kind of thing as well. Right.
1: right. Real quick, as I just thought about something about the lucid dreaming, um, I have heard that, um, you know, when, when you go to sleep, the reason why your dreams can be so weird and not make sense is that Mm -hmm. your, is it your frontal cortex? I think what, whichever part of your brain that controls logic, uh, turns off. And so you're able to uh, not be constrained by, by, by things that you would normally see as saying, uh, you know, limiting, uh, limiting to the, to the forms of, of I, I don't think that's possible. I think that's possible. And so yeah. by turning that off, it allows you to maybe make connections that you didn't realize were, were there. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why I'd, I'd heard some NASA engineer uh, was trying to come up with a solution for something on the moon like some technology they needed on the moon. And he basically, you know, read everything over the course of an hour or whatever, and yeah. then just went to sleep and thought about it in this, in what you're kind of saying, this like guided, more um, mission driven th- sleep. And right. when he woke up, he kind of had like new, he was able to connect new, new things together and was able to, I, I, I guess, solve his problem. solve you know, find mm. the solution to his, to his um, problem. So I do think that there are some really, I do believe that there are true benefits from sleep and thinking in different ways when when you're not being constrained by, um, you know, other parts of your mind.
0: Absolutely, and I think uh, I'll will skip ahead to this, but a lot of people in the arts and and film directors, especially, have uh, really tried to practice this astral projection. Mm. Which I guess to improve their craft or their creativity or or whatever, but so i read james cameron has tried unsuccessfully many times to achieve this uh, david lynch and werner herzog have both been said to successfully perform astral projection um so doesn't surprise me and i think that obviously they're very successful or were very successful at what they did
1: yeah um, it doesn't surprise me that those three guys would would try <laughs> for sure
0: for sure others as well and then you know you have others that are like oh yeah it was maybe it's just a crazy LSD trip or something. Right, right. <laughs> um, so I did find a couple of methods to astral projection. The first one, the M- Monroe method, uh, you have Bob Monroe, who is the founder of the Mo- Monroe Institute, which is a leading research organization in the field of human consciousness. It's a seven-step process. So step one is relax both physically and mentally. Step two is enter a hypnagogic, hypnagogic state <laughs> oh, just <laughs> or a, ha- a half sleep. Oh, just like that. Yeah, just enter that. Yeah, step step 2. Step 3, <laughs> deepen the state by prioritizing mental sensation over physical sensation. And I'm sure there are more explanations for these steps. I was just given the, the you know the the top level stuff, the 30,000 foot view of these. Right. Uh, so s- step 3, deepen the state by prioritizing mental sensation over physical sensation. Step 4, pay attention to the presence of vibration in your environment, which becomes apparent in a state of deep attention. Step five, incur the vibration in your physical body and relax into its presence. The purpose of this is to gently jiggle the subtle body out of the physical body. Step six, focus your thoughts on leaving the limbs and the torso and try to do so one at a time. And step seven is known as lifting out. Focus on effortlessly drifting out of your physical body. So that's the Monroe method. Hmm. Uh, Seems simple enough. Yeah. I mean... I don't know how you... there there, there's gotta be steps for getting back into your physical body, right? You don't want to be just in this, uh, limbo.
1: (laughs) Oh, I didn't actually think about that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe you got to put your arm back one at a time,
0: like your leg back one at a time. Just got to grab and pull yourself back into your own body. Yeah. Uh, another method is called the rope technique. It's a six step method. Step one, relax the physical body by visualizing each muscle step two from your space of relaxation enter a vibration inter vibrational states this should feel like an amplified version of a cell phone's vibration mode pulsations coursing through the body step three imagine a rope hanging above you step four using the astral body attempt to hold onto the rope with both hands the physical body remains completely relaxed step five begin to climb the rope hand over hand all the while visualizing reaching the ceiling above you step six once you are aware of your full exit of the physical body, you are able to explore the astral plane. Hmm. So you essentially, I, I can't climb a rope uh, in my physical body. <laughs> I'm not sure how this would work. Maybe it's easier. I don't know.
1: Maybe, maybe it's just as easy as wanting to do it. Yeah. You can do anything you want to do in your mental body.
0: Right. Exactly. Um Huh. And then a little bit of, I guess, lucid dreaming, there's multiple methods, but some, I just thought it was, it was, it was interesting that some methods train the sleeper to wake within their dream and others offer ways of staying lucid while falling, falling asleep. Um,
1: have you ever been dreaming or, or I, it always happens to me right around the time you have to wake up, like maybe in the last, I don't know, hour, or 30 minutes, but like maybe you kind of jolt yourself asleep and then you look at your, your, you were having a dream and then you awake, jolt. Yeah. Yeah. And then you wake up for a second, like look at your clock. And you realize you got another hour or something and then you can kind of like fall back into that exact same dream. And now that you sort of have this um, realization that you're, that you're dreaming, uh, yeah. you can start to sort of control it and like make, make decisions inside of your dream. Have you ever had that?
0: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I, if, I, if I'm waking up from a good dream, I immediately try and go back to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> um, just to get back into that. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I have. I'm not sure if maybe like you actually don't, you're not fully awake, I would imagine. Like you haven't actually left REM. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I don't I don't know the, the science behind all of that. Yeah. Uh, one last thing that was interesting is that, well, first of all, during this time, like right now in quarantine and, and in a pandemic, there's no better time than ever to feel like to, to try this thing, th- these things. Like a lot of people were on their own. Um, you got, you got a lot of time on your hands. I've definitely gotten into meditation more, but not not quite to this level, more just like for a breathing exercises and stuff like that. Yeah. But people are, I mean, I dove into the scholarly Reddit page on this and people are using astral projection to project themselves out of quarantine. (laughs) (laughs) And like there's, you know, people are writing, it's like, Hey, can I visit my family and do all this kind of stuff? Right. Yeah. And, and one thing uh, that I did see was interesting is that if you really look at it uh, and like, is this really that, like we've talked about is, is everything around us, is it actually real? And like, if you really get down to it, one of these is not more uh, convincing than the others. If you take away the logic of it, I guess, Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know.
1: Yeah. Um, I I will say I've, I'm, I did recently watch a a Rogan episode with this guy who wrote a book on breathing and i I'm listening to his audible right now uh like yeah. it, I could have just read his book, but I'm listening to the audible and um it's pretty interesting i mean it it definitely seems like um there are connections between the two like bre- breathing exercises that can kind of maybe trigger some of these out of body experiences or mm-hmm. some of these more um hypnotic um trips call them like kind of natural trips yeah um it it does sound kind of interesting and and could be um rejuvenating to some extent
0: yeah yeah for sure and there's just the whole the the mind and consciousness is super trippy i I was reading uh, during this research have you heard about uh binaural beats no so Essentially it's I think this is this is, is a way to help you kind of get into this out of body experience. It's like one one method, but if let's say you play uh, Oh you're playing beats in, in, in your ears separately. So you have like one in your left ear at hundred hertz and one in your right ear at, at hundred and four hertz, mm-hmm. your mind interprets that as a beat of four hertz, which is actually not being played at all. It's just the difference between the two. Hmm. And so oh, it like helps you I guess kind of pull back from i don't know it's like you're not you're not hearing what you're actually hearing have you listened to that no i haven't but i, I could go on youtube i think and check it out yeah
1: i would be interested to, to, to hear i have heard about listening to certain frequencies of waves can can help your mind relax as well like yeah and i thought that they had maybe researched it for like crowd control
0: oh okay. Like yeah. it,
1: it calms you um so Let's, just like, like the
0: like the brown note from South Park where they all play their clarinets at the same note and everybody craps their pants.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Similar to that, yeah.
0: <laughs> I keep going back to South Park all the time. It's like a, it's a Simpsons did it situation over here. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, anything um, anything worth making fun of, they've probably done something.
0: Right. Yeah. All right. I can't wait to see what they do with this whole situation.
1: Oh, with quarantine.
0: Yeah, the next the next season is going to be gold. Oh, they yeah. just have material for 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 decades at this point.
1: I mean, you, the, I just feel like the last five years has just been an absolute treasure trove for them.
0: Oh yeah, cash cow, big time.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, not, even aside from the Trump from Trump stuff to all the way to you know all the uh, gender stuff, the pronouns, the yeah. I mean, yeah. there's just so much stuff that they could they could raz on. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And they have, and they yeah, will, and they will. So that's what I got about astral projection. Um, huh. Admittedly, it's a way deeper topic than my brain can wrap around in my little hour and a half of research or so. But, well, uh, check it out. I,
1: I am very interested. And I'm wondering if this um, breathing book that I'm reading will kind of send me in that direction too.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That you're reading with your ears. i reading with my ears, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Audible gave me a free book, so I might as well use it on something. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Nice.
1: Well, good topic. Thank you. Michael, one thing I learned this week is that breathing is a lot more than just getting air in your lungs. In fact, 90% of us breathe wrong. Uh, (laughs) And it turns out, you know, we kind of hear people talk about like, oh, that person's a mouth breather or somebody who's like kind of embarrassing or stupid. Um, Yeah. But it actually has... um, big effect on your, on your health. Um, you're supposed to breathe through your nose, breathing through your mm. mouth is sort of just like, it, it actually, is not just wrong. It's actually like unhealthy. Um, have you ever thought about breathing through one way or the other?
0: Like when I'm exhausted from working out to like people always say in through the nose, out through the mouth, that kind of crap, but I have like one of my I'm just breathing through my nose now. I feel like I get less oxygen through my nose. But Well, so uh like if I'm really gasping for air, like if I get up off the couch too fast, then I have to
1: <laughs> right. breathe through my mouth, I feel like. Well, <laughs> so uh I was watching this thing. I was watching this this guy, James Nestor. Um I said I was reading his book as well. He wrote this book called Breathe. And he was saying that, um, 75% of the air you breathe in is the air you breathe out. So, uh, breathing through your mouth actually doesn't get you more oxygen. And if you, if you breathe through your nose, you actually like, it relaxes you, um, faster than if you just try to like put a ton of air into your lungs, I guess, through your, through your mouth. Um, and I guess the nose has a lot of other functions besides just, um, (laughs) basically smelling stuff, but it, it, it filters the air. It does a lot. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm pretty interested in in learning a little bit more about this, but I I learned that 90% of us breathe, breathe wrong. Essentially. Um, people get like sleep apnea from it. Um, it actually can like physically change the shape of your face. Uh, if you breathe a lot through your mouth. Um, and, and yeah, it can, it can create a lot, a lot of other issues for you.
0: Yeah, I feel like I'm a combo breather. I feel like I do both at the same time. Is that possible? Actually, I think it is. Both at the same time? I I don't know. I think it is. I, uh, I know you can't breathe out of both. Yeah, you can. I don't know. You can. You can't do something. Sorry, I'm just like breathing into the mic now. Sorry for everybody listening.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, it's, it's it's pretty interesting. I've tried to like only breathe through my through my nose while I was running. It's definitely hard, but. Um, I think it's supposed to, it's supposed to help you get more air and be, be a better runner.
0: Okay. Yeah. I, I, since it is mostly a sub, a subconscious, like automatic reflex, I feel like I don't even notice what I'm breathing in or out of most of the time. Right. Right. I only know when I'm thinking about it, but very interesting. Yeah. One thing I learned this week is that TikTokers may not be the little dumb idiots that some people make them out to be. Uh, also we might not have TikTok moving forward because of the whole China thing anyway. Uh, so f- of course we all know that at first they reserved tons of tickets to the Trump rally in Tulsa causing like a massive over projection of attendance. And then nobody really showed up. Mm-hmm. But now during quarantine and during, uh, everybody wearing masks, they're dressing up as old people and wearing masks. So they can buy booze. <laughs> <laughs> they are a force to be reckoned with.
1: They're clever, clever, uh, TikTokers.
0: Yeah. Yeah, just kind of dressing up as an old old lady, like maybe get a walker and put a mask on and then just go buy all the booze you want to as like a 17-year-old. It's a great idea. We don't endorse that, of course, but no. uh smart. Very very smart. smart very smart. Yeah. So that's what I learned.
1: Michael, tell me what you know about submarines.
0: Submarines. Yeah. I almost did this topic like 2 weeks ago.
1: Really? <laughs> yeah, well, I've been I've been watching that uh, Greyhound trailer for you know the new Tom Hanks movie on Apple TV. Oh, I haven't seen that. Uh, it looks good. It got good reviews too. Um, so it made me want to do submarines. Did
0: you say Tom Hanks? Yeah. Okay. For some reason, I heard Tom Clancy. I guess when I hear submarines and Tom, I think of Tom Clancy. I guess.
1: Uh, uh, <laughs> we'll talk a little bit about that movie later. But yeah, the, the yeah. Hunt for Red October.
0: Yes, uh, uh, another movie I have not seen. Oh uh, but anyway submarines they uh they're underwater vehicles mm-hmm. and they use i believe they have like a hollow space in between their like inner inner i guess where people are and the outer it's basically like a shell right and I think they fill that with air to either descend or ascend, i believe yes it's some of them do maybe
1: yeah uh, I, i'm not sure if maybe on every each summary might have a slightly different design but you're right like the called like ballast tanks
0: yes yeah right and they oh, they somehow they they yeah they either bring in air to go up or they expel uh what is the word they, they expel air to go down I think that's that's basically all I know. I know that, that that like the first submarines or the first like ideas for submarines are way older than you would think, like sixteen or seventeen hundreds, maybe, maybe even before that. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, that brings us to uh, our first kind of section here, talking about the invention. Yeah, really. um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take you through the invention and talk a little bit about like modern warfare, and we'll go into kind of how they work, um, and then we'll talk about like some superlatives. Uh, okay. So you're definitely right. They're much older than I realized, um, or at least the idea of them. So the first working prototype of a submarine was built by Cornelius Drebbel. He was a Dutch Mm -hmm. inventor in the 17th century. Um, Unfortunately, none of his engineering drawings uh, have survived, um, but people think it was supposed to be kind of like a modified rowboat. So it's like a... Yeah, like uh, the rowers would be in the middle, and then um, it had maybe like a covering that was very um, low, and then maybe it had like an angled um, bow that you would they would kind of like force the force it under under the water, and it used uh, wooden ballast tanks. So, real quick, just about how they they well no I will save that we'll save that. Um, The next like the next one that is a um, a real submarine was called uh, the turtle it was like or the next iteration of the America, of this submarine was called the turtle yeah. it was a one man submersible that used a hand hand crank to move through the water and then it had a pedal that the the person would use to like fill the ballast tank with water um it was created during the American Revolution uh, and it was designed to kind of like be stealthy, obviously. And a person could, you know, get on, get, go underwater, get up close to a ship. And then it had like a screw bomb on it. <laughs> so <laughs> this, like, the person would screw this bomb yeah. into like the wooden hole of another ship and then ideally okay. like leave. Um. So this was the first attempted by uh, this guy. Union soldier, the uh, or not Union, but uh, American soldier, Ezra Lee, uh, Mm -hmm. and he attempted to go, you know, blow up a British warship, but he was unsuccessful. Uh, He ended up like detonating the bomb out in just the open ocean. Um, So technically, this the turtle was, you know, unsuccessful in blowing up an enemy ship, but it still had like a lot of novelty for just the invention, and and um, I think George Washington was even cited as saying like. You know, despite being unsuccessful, it was just like it's an incredible achievement and ingenuity kind of thing. So there was a lot of interest in it. Um, The next kind of advancement in this technology was a ship called the Nautilus. It was developed by another American, uh, Robert Fulton, but it was he developed it for the French government in 1800. Um, This was an all-metal ship, cigar-shaped, kind of typical of what we see today. Uh, it was 21 feet long. It also had a, a mast to it that could be opened up for like sailing. So if you were, you know, just on top of the water, uh, or on the surface, you could sail around. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, when you were submerged, it had a hand powered propeller. So, you know, people would, um, I think it was like almost like a treadmill that, that the, the men inside the ship would use to, yeah. to power the ship. It's like um, a lot of
0: work for these early ones to get going. Yeah, yeah. But that makes sense, I guess. Yeah. Uh, not a whole lot of technology.
1: Well, again, this one was – ideally, it was successful. Like, it submerged and, you know, it didn't sink mm-hmm. or anything. But uh, the the French government did, decided not to use it, um, and it was just ended up being kind of like a novelty thing. Um, this Robert Fulton guy, though, the guy that invented it, he went on to develop the first steamboat uh, much, you know, after 1800. So, he returned to the United States – and he built the first steamboat, so he was a pretty, pretty ingenious inventor. Nice. Um, we're going to talk about three more. the oh. The Russians. There was a Russian guy named Wilhelm Bauer. He built this metal ship in 1850. Uh, this one was 52 feet long, and it had a crew of uh, a crew of 12, and it was able to do 130 successful dives. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So. It, all of a sudden, you can kind of see where the Russians and the uh, the Germans kind of in this. They're, they're getting into a lot of this. And as, as we'll talk about, like the U-boats later, um, they are pretty uh, invested in building sub- submarines. Um, the next one that I found it pretty interesting was this. It's called Ictaneo-2. It was based on, there was an Ictaneo-1, but I don't think it was a submarine. Uh, it was invented by a Spanish political activist and inventor named. Um, I'm gonna butcher this name, but Narcis mm-hmm. Mont- Monturial iistoriol Estor- something. I, like?
0: know, I know exactly who you're talking about. Do, do you really? No.
1: Okay. No. Uh,
0: <laughs> Narcis.
1: Uh, yep. Good old Narcis. Uh, what was interesting about this one was that it had a unique propulsion system that used uh-huh. actually it used its steam. It used steam to power the engine. But the steam was created through a chemical reaction, so rather than you know blowing up gasoline or like having like a piston engine or something, it uh-huh. just you know it created heat and steam uh, through a chemical reaction. So the, hmm. supposedly this type of propulsion system wasn't recreated until sometime in the 1900s. So it's pretty uh, ahead of its time. Yeah. And then uh, in 1900, we pretty much had like the beginning of the modern era of what you would kind of know as submarines now um okay. built by john philip holland i uh, built this this boat called the uss holland uh he i think he built it for the the british and the united states but it's the first submarine commissioned by the u.s navy it was 54 feet long and it was gas powered on the surface and then when it submerged it had um uh, electrical power so and that was you know you're very typical it was like fully metal um, cigar shaped and kind of, you know, was the beginning of all the technology that I think we've sort of just continued to iterate on from this. Mm-hmm. So this right. kind of brings us into the, the modern, uh, the modern era. And of course, like what's really a submarine useful for, and, and you know, with the exception of diving down and looking at Marine life, it's, it's a war vessel, right? Like, right. You're going to blow stuff up. Yeah. Um, so they f- they really saw their first real action in World War One. The Germans built three hundred and seventy three submarines, uh, and we we kind of know them as U-boats, right? But uh, do you know what U-boat kind of stands for? Like, why, like where it gets its name?
0: Under boat, Uber boat.
1: You're you're honestly not that <laughs> far off, to be honest. Uh, it's it's just a shortened term name for like. For English speakers to use, but uh, yeah, in German they have a word called Unterseeboot.
0: Yeah, it
1: just means undersea boat. Yeah, Yeah. under the sea boat. Yeah, so U boat. Right.
0: Um.
1: It really began. It's you know, you might have heard of this boat, but the uh, the Lusitania um, was sunk by a German U boat in 1915. Um, The the World War War One had begun, but um, you know, obviously, like it was still developing right like world war one was still growing so mm-hmm. this this was a, a a key event that really you know turned the tide against the germans made everybody else kind of be like oh you shouldn't have done that you should have the, the lusitania was just a passenger liner um and right and it, it sank I think, I think nearly a thousand people died um and and yeah kind of turned the the turned the tide against of against the Germans in the sense that people were like oh well, we have to go uh you know we have to go to war now. Yes. So it's very big uh point of World War 1. Uh in World War 1 German U-boats sank 5,000 ships. Which is a lot. To, that's, I, a lot that's a lot of ships. It's a lot of ships. Um
0: and way war more two, successful than kamikaze.
1: Oh, way more successful. In World War 2, we'll fast forward. Uh, the, the, Technology has just gotten even better. Um, submarines play an even more critical role. The Treaty of Versailles was supposed to limit how many ships, and uh, you know, in all of the German warfare that they could have. But uh, Hitler wanted to have, a um, you know, a larger Navy and submarines were a big part of that. So they were able to have, I think, a little over, maybe it was, I think it was like 60 ships, 60 um, U-boats by the time the war really bre- broke out. And just okay. these 60 ships, they were able to like massively control the Atlantic Ocean. Um, and, you know, this kind of started what, what's being what is called the Battle of the Atlantic. So U-boats were battery powered when they had to submerge, just like many of the uh, submarines. So uh, they could only stay underwater for about two hours. So it kind of meant that a lot of what they were doing was basically still on the surface. Um, yeah. So they would be on the surface and then they would shoot a torpedo, um, and then maybe like submerge and then, you know, leave. So it was mostly like, you know, they had different tactics. They weren't, as we kind of know submarines today, able to stay down forever and just kind of sneak up on ships, you know? Yeah. Um, so there were these, there were these rules at the time that meant that you, you couldn't fire on a a passenger liner or uh maybe a supply ship without first making yourself known to them. So <laughs> the idea is is that like you could still shoot it though. You could yeah, you you could just make oh, you could give it time to maybe let people get off the boat and then okay. blow it up. So it was kind of like some you know rules of war kind of thing. Yeah. However, the ships were the the submarines were so effective that uh the allies started creating these things called Q ships that were basically like heavily armored ships, but they looked like merchant vessels or, uh, or passenger ships. Yeah. So the, yeah, the idea was that a submarine would kind of sneak up on you and then it would get to you and be like, Oh wait, that's not a, uh, that's not just like a a ship carrying trucks. That's, Like that's going to blow me up. So they kind of, they then got rid of those rules and then they were just like, all right, we'll sneak up on you and blow you up right away kind of thing. So they were really, really successful and it kind of forced the allies to figure out new tactics and, and the the Germans kind of changed their tactics too. They started attacking in what what were called wolf packs. So like (laughs) multiple, like three or four U boats would attack at one time, making it even even harder. And they would kind of drive, uh, drive at the ship together. This was also the development of uh, sonar technology and radar. And okay. so if you tightly packed the ships together, it was harder to tell how many there were and where exactly they were. So all of these were kind of like responses to tactics and technology um, that made it you know more difficult on, on submarines. Um, but at the end of the, at the end of the war, they, they sank 3,500 merchant sh- merchant vessels, which is a ton uh 175 warships. But by the time the war ended, the Allies had gotten so good at kind of blowing up U boats that we decimated nearly their entire fleet. And if you were a German U boater, uh you basically seven out of ten German U boaters died in the war. So like not a very um if you were yeah if you were a on a on a a good job it was not a good job you had a very high likelihood of death in this in this role and also were they you go ahead
0: were they blowing them up is that what Are depth charges are those for those are for submarines right yeah
1: yeah so it's like yeah a submarine is just like something that's
0: tethered to the bottom all right so tell me about that if you know them
1: uh so i didn't go into like a full research on them but what i know about depth charges um they're, they're pressure sensitive. So like you time them based upon how deep you want them to blow up based upon the okay. pressure. So the pressure continues to rise as, as it falls, the, 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 the men on board, the ship kind of set them for what, what depth they want. And then they pretty yeah. much just sink. And, um, yeah, the idea is that it creates this, you know, suction in the water, right? It, like it create and then it creates the, um, uh, uh ripple right. effect through through the ocean that that would create like that would cause the ship to become unstable and all that stuff might disable its engine and force it to come to the uh right 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 force it come to the the, the surface okay so that's basically what they are and then and then obviously they had torpedoes which you know yeah what torpedoes are um yes. but in around this time they had developed heat seeking torpedoes um mm these again had, uh, you know, they have charges on them as well. They only activate after a certain distance or or maybe only activate if they they have a target or something like that. So a ton of technology right. developed inside of these things. Um, so, yeah, let's talk a little bit about how they work exactly.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm interested and in, especially want to know how you get oxygen into them consistently. Oh, yeah. So,
1: uh, we'll touch on both of those things or both of the, these things, how they go down and how they get oxygen and how they stay down yep. there. So, uh, you have main ballast tanks, which these are two tanks located one at the bow and one near the stern okay. and these fill with water, water uh, not air. That's right. Uh, yeah. So okay. they, they fill with water cr- to create the negative buoyancy mm-hmm. and this causes the ship to, to have a slightly negative buoyancy. And then they use the power to kind of like angle, uh, dive planes which are basically like wings that you would yeah. see on an airplane to force the the ship down further. And, um, and then you, you know, you hear people talk about it'll oh, blow the tanks, but blowing the tanks basically just means like blowing all the water out of the tanks. Yeah. And that's done through uh, compressed air that they have on board that they use for this purpose. They could also use it for, uh, breathing oxygen, um, and the rest, especially if they need to, um, Say there's like a leak, or say there's some some other problem with the technology on board that's not getting rid of the CO2 that's in the ox- that's in the 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 air. They have to yeah. you know immediately put more air into the system. So so they do carry some some air on board. Okay. Um. But you you mentioned how do they uh you know get fresh oxygen? How do they get fresh water? So on modern submarines, um, well, historical ones they had to take it with them. Uh, on modern submarines, they actually have uh, oxygenators that are uh, taking seawater and separating out uh, fresh breathing air. So this process is called electrolysis. Okay. Um, and that using, the, using electrolysis on board, bring water, seawater in, and then uh, create oxygen from it. They also do the same with reverse osmosis for getting fresh, fresh water on board. Um, and both of these things are pretty much like critical systems on board of the, the submarine. Um, what's interesting to me about this was that, uh, obviously like you can't drink seawater or you don't want to use seawater for that much, but like the toilets on board, they all use seawater. Um, yeah. cause that doesn't matter. Uh, you just need it for like cooking and showering and stuff like that. Drinking, obviously, mm-hmm. um, so I found that kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, a couple other things I have always wondered about were like periscope depth. You know how 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 deep yeah, I mean, is are that? Are
0: those are those actually things that are still used periscopes?
1: So periscopes are still used, but the technology has has actually pretty recently changed. Okay. Um, they've started to use these things called photonic masts uh, that are more like digital. Uh, periscopes so before a periscope was actually like an optical lens that had to go from the surface all the way down into the control room right and so it had it had its limitations especially in the sense that you had to kind of like design everything around this periscope so like
0: it had to be telescopic as well i guess right uh yes so I like yeah
1: yeah so, yeah, you so like can,
0: like shoot out longer instead of taking up all that space.
1: Exactly. So, so some of these periscopes are 60 feet long. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty long tube. Uh, and then you're right. Like, yeah, like, you know, can. what did you call it? Telescopic? Like, yeah, yeah, like one of those like condenses on itself. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so I guess the periscope depth probably depend on the size of the boat. Um, but somewhere, you know, maybe 30, 30 to 60 feet. Mm-hmm. gets into there and then and then yeah the captain would you know put the the tele, the periscope up and look around it could you know do a full 360 degrees but uh, one of the other limitations of it was is that you you can only be one person looking through it at one time right the photonic mass are more as i said they're digital and they sort of assemble an image and then put it on you know monitors below so right. i i'm pretty sure I, you could kind of have like a full 360 degree view just looking on the monitors like around your head and like everybody can see around them and the other nice thing that it, this that this did was that it made it so that the control room could all be on one level rather than uh separated as it was before in like older submarines so that just means your, okay. your crew can all be in the same room talking to each other and like better teamwork and all that stuff um right. so Pretty, uh, pretty cool advancement, and I think a, a lot of this other stuff. You know, computers are able to, you know, monitor stuff all the time, and all this different stuff. I think I think it would be pretty cool to see one of these photonic mass. Such a cool name, um, yeah, In use. Absolutely.
0: Do you ever see the movie Down Periscope? No. With Kelsey Grammer, it's like a slapstick submarine movie. Rob Schneider was in it, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a list of uh, submarine movies, but.
0: It was, this is not one that needs to be on that list
1: I'm sure <laughs> down periscope and I definitely remember yeah, really it really bad I definitely remember it um so yeah, let's talk a little bit about like some superlatives like how big they are yeah how deep they can
0: go and all that stuff um well I know James Cameron took one super far down
1: let's talk about like the biggest submarines that there are, that have been made so okay. the, the biggest submarines made are the typhoon class submarines uh, in the Russian navy these this one submarine is nearly 600 feet long, uh, 75 Jesus. feet wide, and has a crew of 160 men. Uh, I mean, it's so big, it has a small swimming pool on board.
0: I was going to say, that sounds like a, a small crew for as big of a ship as that is. Yeah. I guess maybe the interior is obviously not that big, but...
1: Well, I think it, it carries a ton of missiles.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so it, like... I, I think 160 man crew for this is probably like a large crew for a submarine, but like still not, um, yeah, probably as large as you could probably fit on this boat. But I mean, yeah. 600 feet long, that's two football fields. I mean, that's and massive. about the width
0: of a football field as well. Probably. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, there, this thing's huge. Um, the longest the submarine has been underwater has been, uh, the USS Pennsylvania spent 140 days submerged. Uh, which I think's got to wow. just be completely, just wreak havoc on your mental psyche, right? Yeah, like
0: you have to astrally project yourself onto onto dry land. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I mean, would you rather spend 140 days in space or 140 days submerged?
0: Uh, it would be the same to me. I think. It'd be the same. Although, no, in space at least you could like see things. Yeah. Also being underwater I don't I don't love <laughs>
1: We're we're going to talk a little bit about the life of yeah what life is like living on a submarine. But yeah, like I, <laughs> I I I I totally agree.
0: I mean, something goes wrong in either one of those places you're dead, but I think you suffocate faster like pressure well, I don't know, pressure would just kill you instantly in both probably.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think you might be able to survive for like maybe a few maybe like 30 seconds in like the vastness of space, but it would be <sighs> You're probably breathing in, you'd probably actually be. You're not breathing in anything. So yeah. you're just freezing to death em- immediately Right. Um so yeah, let's the deepest the submarine has gone. So so military submarines they say can go around around eight hundred feet deep. Okay. Um, which is pretty deep. But um obviously, you know, we all know James Cameron wants to go as deep as he can go. Right. And he was not, I think, a part of this mission, but it was a submarine built by the US uh, called the Trieste. And it made it to a depth of 10,916 meters or 35,813 feet. Um, so this is going mm. to the, the, the Marianas Trench, as you yeah. mentioned. Um, yeah, it's a, like the deepest in the ocean. Uh, you know, it's like, what, seven miles deep? Uh, it's a few hundred miles east of the Philippines, this trench, which just kind of, this has always spooked me. You know, the fact that the Marianas Trench just like exists in general. It's always freaked me out.
0: It's so, I mean, it's just unimaginably deep. I yeah. Like you could put like three Mount Everest in there and barely touch the surface of the water or something.
1: I don't know about three, but you, it, it <laughs> would too. fully, you could fully put the, uh, Fully put Mount Everest in there. Yeah. Um. It, the water pressure at this depth is a thousand atmospheres, so that's pretty insane. Yeah. Um. It had a manned. It was manned by two people. Uh. It had a pressure sphere of two point one six meters, six six point six and a half feet across, with steel walls uh, that were five inches thick. So it's able to withstand 1.25 metric tons per square centimeter of pressure. Uh, That's insane.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, So at the bottom, yeah, it had these like pellets. Crazy.
0: Hmm.
1: Oh, so it had these pellets that it ejected and then the pellets like were wanted to go to the surface and they actually like pulled the ship back back up um, oh really yeah kind of interesting they were like pellets made out of gasoline that's kind okay. of interesting
0: that was how they were able to get back to the surface
1: yeah so rather than i guess you know filling with more oxygen to get up they, they use this uh, gasoline option All right, so let's talk a little bit about what life is like on a submarine <laughs> real quick <laughs> okay. uh so this we're just talking about a military submarine like I, i'm sure that You know, life on board the Trieste was probably like a day long and it sucked, but it was kind of cool. And you went to the bottom and then you came back up. But when you're in the Navy and you get put on a submarine, life is like pretty crazy. Uh, Everything gets put into 18 hour schedules divided into six hour segments. So when you're on board, you're completely, you know, taken out of the 24 hour day. So you don't really know what time it is or what day it is. Right. So, yeah. uh, the sailor said, like, you pretty much know if it's morning or night based upon just, like, what you're eating. <laughs> right. So, like, yeah. depending on what they're feeding you. um, Everything is really cramped, obviously. But, like, to, to put this into perspective, each sailor on board gets 15 square feet for themselves and their possessions. So, Jeez. you know, that's five by three. Yeah. <laughs> that's not... Yeah, yeah not big at all um there's you know like no they're very little gyms maybe they have like uh a bike that you could use um right some maybe some like like all body machines like weighted machines a bowflex uh, yeah uh <laughs> Bowflex. Total or, gym
0: and a gazelle
1: i'm sure maybe, maybe the navy has a deal with peloton now
0: yeah for sure uh hard to get wi-fi down there but they have pre-recorded classes i assume
1: uh yes and speaking of that, they, they, they have like 400 movies. It doesn't seem like that many movies. I'm sure they have the full Netflix collection now. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, like the other thing that I, I, I was kind of reading about was the fact that like air ventilation on board is not the best. So it's constantly like Naturally. recycling the water. You're yeah. smelling all these different types of things all at one time. So mm. I guess on board they have these um, these pellets that collect CO2. And they're, they're really effective, but they smell weird. Huh. And sailors kind of talk about the fact like, oh, these pellets just kind of like, they don't smell good, but you kind of get used to them. But you're also smelling like everything else on board the ship, right? So if they're cooking, you know, it's Chinese yeah. night. You got to smell that. <sighs> you got to smell uh, these pellets. You've also got like maybe some. Whip
0: up a batch of egg salad. Everybody <laughs> just starts vomiting everywhere.
1: Exactly. Uh, you've got like weird gasoline and oil smells. Um, yeah. So it's just a, probably a very odd um, place to spend a lot of time because like yeah. each like each mission um, is like between three and six months. Uh, <sighs> they're out, you know, deployed, which just sounds just like that's a long time to spend out there. And I think a lot of the time they are submerged because they're nuclear submarines. You know, they, they don't need power and as long as they have all the ability to. You know, make fresh air, fresh ox- fresh water. They can stay out there. Um, right. And I guess, you know, the food on board is non-perishables. So you're also kind of like just eating weird foods like, the, oh, yeah, we'll make a a, a, a ravioli, but it's all going to be made out of stuff that's like not really ravioli. Right. I don't know. It's all kind of weird. Um, If you had to join the Navy, would, would you ever want to be a submariner?
0: No, I like uh, being above above water surface i think too much yeah you have to go i I mean i I definitely want to go on one but i'll probably just stick to the the twenty thousand leagues under the sea ride at at universal studios yeah which is pretty fun even that makes me feel weird i mean even it's it's fake but like it still makes me feel weird
1: yeah yeah you're like seeing the fake fish swim around Mm -hmm. (laughs) i do think it'd be fun to kind of like go um See, like, some coral reefs or something, go on one of those rides. I think it'd be kind of fun. Well, they're dying at an alarming rate, so go see them quickly. Gotta go, gotta go quick. <laughs> um, yeah, I mentioned at the beginning, like, I kind of wanted to do this topic because that Greyhound movie is coming out uh, yeah. on Apple. Definitely want to see it. Tom Hanks, a couple other submarine movies I actually do enjoy. Uh, The Hunt for Red October. I know you haven't seen it. It's fantastic. Like yeah, I know it's good. Great, um, great Tom Clancy novel, Jack Ryan book. Um, or flip that around. Yep. And U five seven one with. Yep. Uh, Matthew McConaughey, great little World War two submarine movie. Um, and yeah, I have to check out Down Periscope.
0: What about Crimson Tide with Denzel?
1: Oh yeah, love me some Crimson Tide. Yeah. Um, got to turn their keys. That's right yeah that's right it's a good one yeah um yeah that's what i got for submarines excellent
0: i enjoyed that yeah that's it for this week's episode make sure to like and subscribe if you enjoyed it you can follow us on instagram at tmwyk underscore podcast and on twitter at tmwyk pod have a great weekend and we'll see all you beautiful people for a new episode next friday